Morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. How you guys doing? Doing well. It's good to see your smiling faces. Uh, worship was really ministering to my heart. That song, I Speak Jesus, has something on it. <laughs> and who would have thought, I Speak Jesus, had that much power, right? So it's just so good to be with you guys this morning. Today we continue in our teaching series called Disciple. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so today, we're going to continue to march through what does it look like to be a disciple? What are some of the particularities and the aspects of this reality, this biblical vision of Jesus and the kingdom of God? And then we're going to kind of unpackage this, this, this aspect that the life of a disciple and even life itself is not linear, but cyclical. And I'll unpack, unpack that more in a moment. And be, just to start things off, I want to kind of like we're just... Turn your brains on real quick. We're just going to cover a couple things, and then we'll, we'll go into the Word. But I want to I talk about the definition that we're using. We're using a very specific definition of the word disciple because we want to see this word and this reality of a disciple sort of redeemed in our cultural moment. Who, who's familiar? Who grew up with that word, disciple? A few of us. And maybe some of you guys come in, you're like, I love this word. Um, this is what it's, this is what it's, I'm all about this word. And there's other people that's like, ah, I don't really know what that even means. Maybe that comes with some church baggage. But we want to see this, this word redeemed. And so this is the definition. Disciple, a, a lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus who helps others become a lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus. And so it's pretty straightforward, but... The well is deep in this. And so, you know, we're in this process as a church. Many of you guys know that we're, we're marching forward in this new age of the church, not only for us as a church family, but also I think the church at large is, is discovering and, and sort of redefining what it means to be faithful, faithful followers of Jesus in the moment that we find ourselves in. What does it look like to be a disciple in the 21st century? You know, in this secular age, it's becoming more and more secular, more and more postmodern, more and more pluralistic, right? Just follow your truth. It's all right. Uh, and, and also this picture of, of what does the church look like beyond COVID in Austin, in Spicewood, in this, this corridor in 71. And so we're talking about this, these values. Our, our values as a church is presence. Hopefully you can feel that, our priority of just recognizing, awakening ourselves to the nearness of God and his Holy Spirit, his presence. Relationship, it's Group Sunday. We're gonna talk about that more. Relationship, this is where discipleship happens. It's the engine of transformation is in relationships. And then mission, we are others focused. We wanna serve the lost. We wanna see mercy expand. And so we're stripping these things down into their basic Elements, and we're sort of reevaluating, just like to give you a little bit of housekeeping, we're, we're reevaluating the tactics and our strategies as a church for making disciples here and now. Awesome. And we're thinking about, we're just realizing, I think, that the traditional groups, like just small groups, right? And these, a lot of times, well, we, we have been topic oriented groups, and there's also, we have teams, team one, all the, the, the volunteers. And we're realizing these things are awesome, but they're not enough. <laughs> they're not enough to see transformation happen, and neither is even the occasional outreach and missions and Bible classes. These are good things. 
but it's really quite, it's not enough. We're realizing that it's not enough for what we're facing in this new era. Missiologist and church planner David, David and Paul Watson, they paint this pretty grim picture in their landmark book, Contagious Disciple Making. And they say this, the modern church has made the Christian life way too easy for its members. This has marginally increased the numbers attending our churches, but we're fairly, fairly certain it has caused many more problems than it solved. We have made salvation so easy that people can make their profession of faith or join the church, and not change any behavior that, that are disobedient or contrary to the word of God. In our efforts to swell the ranks of the church, to be inclusive, to be politically correct, to impress others, we have thrown away one of the most important and fundamental teachings of the Bible, obedience. It's an uplifting message for you today. <laughs> but this is good stuff. We need, we need to be real and talk about this stuff. And, you know, this quote, it, it points to one of the root issues is obedience. And I think even underlying that, like deeper into the root system, are the two other main issues. And I want to unpack that real quick. And I think the number one is just an issue of surrender. How surrendered do you live your life to Jesus? Right? I'm asking myself this question. And I think this one's hard because we like control. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like control. I don't want to have to be subservient to something other than myself, if I'm honest, in my flesh. Right? We like control, we, whether we are conscious of it or not. We love this, this idea. But, but here's, here's a side note to that. How many of you guys know that Jesus died, he ascended, he resurrected, ascended to the Father, and he sent his Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit has empowered us, right? So we have power. God has given us power, but he's not given us control. He's given us power, but not control. And actually, how we access that life of power is through surrender. It's a lack of surrender. And then the other, second, secondarily, I think, is just a lack of faithfulness. We're not obedient because we're just not really that faithful. And I think another way to unpack this is just it's a lack of sacrificial commitment. I don't know about you, but I'm just pretty fickle. <laughs> like, I'm just, I, I'm, I have my preferences, <laughs> right? I have, like, these things that it's, I, I've been almost like conditioned by this consumeristic mentality. I, things need to be comfortable and geared towards me and my preferences. Right? Sacrificial commitment and faithfulness. These are some of the things that sit at the center of what we need to embrace as we step forward. I believe that there is a, there is a life that you, you long for. If you were just like examined, there's, there's a life that you long for. There's a church and a community that you ache for. Is there such a thing? Maybe I'll just shop around. But there's something, there's a, there's a longing for a certain vision of the church. And I just believe that if we wrap our minds around some of these key things about obedience, about faithfulness and surrender, this will come alive in our life. Surrender and faithfulness to the ways of Jesus. If we yield to the Holy Spirit and we continue to surrender to the ways of Jesus, this vision will come alive in and among us. Let's jump into the teaching text here, or at least the key text, and it's in Romans chapter five. You guys with me? Yeah. Romans chapter five, chapter, chapter five, verse one. It says this. This is Paul. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Let's pray and we'll continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for speaking truth. We thank you. I just thank you for every, every single person that's come in here today and their story and the, and the narrative that they're living. And I just pray that, that if they're experiencing anything other than the kingdom of God, that you just invade with your peace, with your hope, with your love. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you speak today? And may we leave changed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 As many of you guys know, um, Rachel and I spent a season, if, you, if you're new, you probably don't know, but Rachel and I spent a season as full-time missionaries. Um, we worked with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, and uh, we served all around the country. Uh, we served in some of the darkest places, actually, in, in the States, like some of the most uh, spiritually complex and atheistic and the contested areas, spiritually speaking. So we're talking about Seattle. We're talking about the Tenderloin in San Francisco and Portland, and we did a lot of ministry there. And we also did a lot of ministry in Southeast Asia. And uh, we, we, were in a, we were in Thailand, and we were in this village called Maesai, and we were ministering to this people group called the Aka people, okay? And so these are like village people um, who live in the mountains and sort of like kind of unreached. And so they're learning about English, they're learning about the gospel, and we were there teaching English and the gospel and serving them. And so during, during our time there, how many of you guys know that mission work is not always comfortable? Like, it's just like, it's sometimes really hard. And Rachel, um, she for some reason got this rejection to the rice that they were serving there. And so this, this Aka people, are, a lot of them are transplants from China, and they have the, the rice grown in that area. For some reason, Rachel's body, she's just like, I can't eat this. So she's literally just like starving. And we're, and we're staying in these like huts, and the toilet situation wasn't good. It was really, really bad. Um, a lot of challenges. I was leading the team, and a lot, of, a lot of stories in there, but one of the things that was highlighted is Colby, my, one of the guys on the team, um, I shared kind of like quarters with him most of the time. Uh, Rachel and I were just engaged, so. Um, and he was, this guy's awesome, and he, but he was deathly phobic of spiders. And so we'd be sleeping in our, in our bunk, and he would have uh, a knife. <laughs> Take a look at this picture, actually. This is how he slept. <laughs> Like, no joke. I personally think what I had, like, a shoe or something, like a spider. I don't know about a knife, but it made him feel more comfortable. So my, my bed was actually right next to it, so it was like this hut, right? It's, it's um, pretty funny. So Colby, um, man, I love this guy. And he, he just, like, leaned in. Like, he's the kind of guy who you want to have on your team. Like, he's just... He's hungry for the things of God. He's honoring and he's just sacrificial and he's a person of prayer. And, uh, but, he, so, but he was also had like these certain, he was just would observe certain things. Um, and he observed that the village uh, dog, Foxy, was gone. And so he, we were leaving, getting ready to leave and go home. And Colby was like, we need to find out where Foxy is. Like she must have ran away or something like that. So let's ask the village leader where Foxy was. And so I have another video. I'm recording this. And so um, 
Watch this. brings me back. That brings me back. I don't actually think that we, that happened. I think he was like, he was winking at us. He was giving us a hard time. But missions is, missions can be really weird, obviously. And also um, there's fun moments and it's also like really hard most of the time. It's like just the, this slow burn, the slow burning away of cultural norms. It's like constantly culture shocking, burning away your, the impurities of maybe fear or difference or selfishness or sin. And I think that it's, missions can sometimes be like this concentrated version of just life in general though. I think many of us can relate to, the, to this on one level or, or another. And as we know, this doesn't happen all at once, right? It's a process. It's day by day, sometimes moment by moment week by week, season by season, and then we grow into formation or deformation. We grow and we change in one direction or the other. And I think it's key to realize the simple truth that it's, it's a cyclical process. You know, we, we're, we're, we're living in a post-Hellenistic society, um, meaning Greek culture and the, the, the intellectual paradigm of the Greeks is what we, we have adopted in the West. So things are linear. But the Hebrew mindset, and if you look in biology, things are circular, right? And then the biblical motif is that things aren't linear, things are circular. And I think it's important for us to realize that. And I, I think it'll actually give us a lot of hope. Have you ever, um, have you ever experienced these this moments? Maybe you've had one moment or maybe many moments where you've said to yourself like, Man, I thought I was done with this. Right? You're just like, I can't believe I'm going through this again. I thought I conquered this fear. I thought I conquered this mode of selfishness or this sin in my life. But now here I am back in the same place. How did I get here? Anyone relate to that? I'm sure every single person is, can relate to that. And so if you, if you can resonate, that just like reminds you of something even recent just know that you're not alone. You're not alone there. Just be comforted and be validated. This is a normal course of life. But I also want to propose a couple of things that might challenge our thinking on this idea as well. And so as mentioned, life is not linear. It is cyclical. It's seasonal. And often we find ourselves in these cycles, whether we realize it or not. And often these cycles are Cycles of, just straight up, let's just talk about it, selfishness. Just a cycle of selfishness. And sometimes they're also, we're confronted with that selfishness and then we reverse the cycle and we get into cycles of surrender to Jesus. 
I was in, I was, <laughs> I was selfish. Man, I was selfish in college. Like, I was so full of myself. I know it's hard to believe now because I'm really humble. No, I'm just kidding. But I was full of myself, and I was worried about, about what other people thought. And then I became a full-time missionary, and I worked on, you know, I came back and I worked on being a better, better and nicer roommate, you know? And then uh, I got married, and then I was just selfish again. I'm like, how did I get selfish again? And so I read uh, a few books, and I spent time with Jesus, leaned into community, and I tried to be a more loving husband to my wife. And then I had kids. I have two little kids, Judah and Eden, and suddenly I was selfish all over again. Nothing like two human beings who just are great, wonderful, <laughs> just, you know, cry and poop and smile, and they're wonderful. And it's just another reminder of what it looks like to lay down your life and surrender. Um, you know, so my <laughs> Travis feels me. So my premise today is that this kind of cycle, though, where we re revisit things like from stage to stage, sometimes it's day by day, but definitely from stage to stage, these patterns are not actually bad. This is the point. They're not actually bad. They're actually good. In fact, I think this is what, one of the ways that God, he, one of the ways that he moves us into freedom from slavery and from brokenness into healing, into wholeness. He like, in that cycle, he's moving us into, from broken pieces to wholeness and to healing. And also this, this path to, from immaturity to maturity. And so why is this the case? Well, there are, how many guys know that there's, you, you guys are complex people. <laughs> there's many layers to you guys. There's many layers to us. I, I want to be a simple man. I'm like, just simple things, just meat and potatoes, but it's just not the, tr it's not the truth. I'm complex. And I think you are too. There's layers to us. And so God takes us through this process and he goes deeper like the rings of a tree as you cut in. There's, there's layers to lessons that, that take us deeper, like, like the digging, digging of a well. There are cycles to this growth process, holistically, emotionally, and definitely spiritually. And they're like seasons of a harvest, seasons of harvest. And this is not only God's design, we see this in nature, but it's also his desire. And so we actually see this, these cycles built into the very fabric of God's created world. Genesis chapter one, verse 14, NLT, says this. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. And here we also have the, the wisdom of Solomon. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter one. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And so we see God has created these things in seasons. God's creation is based on seasons. Man, I love seasons. I just I've been noticing just like this little incremental shift in the temperature. It's just a little bit cooler now and it's like it's soothing my soul, right? It's just so good. I love the seasons even though they're a little bit wonky in Texas compared to uh, other parts of the country, um, but I, I think they're beautiful. And by the way, you're not going to convince me that there's a better season than fall. I love 
fall so much. In fact, Rachel and I went to Target yesterday and we spent probably over $200 on pumpkin spice scented candles. <laughs> Don't judge us. And we, we're gonna light them around our house. It's gonna be just wonderful. No, that didn't, that didn't happen. Uh, that would be strange. But anyway, I, I kid, but at the same time, I really, really love the fall. And so growth is seasonal. It's cyclical. And this is the case, as I, as I mentioned, in agriculture. And we don't, really, we don't really live in an agricultural society as much here. So we don't really have as deep of an appreciation for this. But this is a huge motif and theme throughout history and throughout the Bible. And so we have winter, spring, summer, and fall. And a lot of times they correspond with planting, fertilizing, watering, and harvesting. And so this idea of growth is the case also for the human experience, I think, as well in a lot of ways. There's a lot of parallels. You know, when it comes to this idea of human growth in terms of reaching our potential as not necessarily biological, um, but the growth of like an inner person growing into his or her potential as an individual or maybe as communities, reaching our potential as communities, I think there are two main operating systems, all right? And this is a little reduced, but I think there's a, this rings true. There's two operating systems or maybe two main operating cycles. So the first one is the way of the world, okay? We'll call it the way of the world. And, and this is in contrast to the way of Jesus. But let me show you this slide that I, that I made of the way of the world. And so a lot of the time, it's, it's orbiting around a self-focused mentality. It's a selfishness. I am king of my universe. Everything orbits around me. I'm here to conquer uh, my empire and become TikTok famous or whatever the case may be, right? Or just, just careerism or whatever the case may be. And, then, and it's also in that selfishness is I'm going to rely on myself because I'm king and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. And there's a self-righteousness kind of with all of this. It sounds kind of blunt, but I think it's kind of true. And so from that place, love, is, there's a T there. Like, it's right underneath. From this place, um, we try harder. Okay, so we have this, this thing. Thank you. And then we try harder and we just go, 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 go. And then a lot of times it results in fatigue. We get tired, get exhausted. We get burnt out or whatever. We quit. And then we feel guilty. And then we try harder and it goes, goes around and around. And a lot of times our society, I think, works this way. Does this make sense? I think sometimes this mentality, want, like it wants to import itself into the Christian life. Well, I'm just not good enough. I have all this stuff I need to work out, all this sin. I should just try harder, right? And then, and then we find ourselves in this vicious cycle. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says this. It's Jesus. Then he said to the crowd, if any, any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross daily and follow me. I love this daily part. Again, it's just the seasonal thing. It's reoccurring. And so to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And so another way that we might be able to put this, this life of a disciple is marked by 
surrender, we take up our cross. The, the cross is the ultimate picture of surrender. And so it's marked by surrender, and then it's marked by faithfulness. We follow Jesus faithfully unto him. And so a lot of ways, this, the essential difference between the way of the world and the way of Jesus is we allow God to redeem our selfish kind of self-reliant operating system, and then we trade it for his kingdom operating system, which is surrender and faithfulness. And so I want to show the next kind of cycle. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. So at the center is surrender. It's like surrender to the lordship of God. There's an orientation there, and it's faithfulness. There's stewardship in there. There's fidelity, there's loyalty, there's trust and faithfulness. All of that is in the middle. And then we practice the ways of Jesus. We practice the ways of Jesus. And that's like, let's, it's very expansive, but it's just living the life of a Christian. And maybe the, the, the fundamental ones is prayer and Bible study and gathering as the ecclesia, as the church, right? So these are some of the practices. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just, like, I'm gonna go through a lot more practices in a moment here. So we practice those. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we just wholeheartedly endeavor to do it. And then we actually grow. <laughs> Imagine that. And then there's a confidence that happens. There's a confidence from this growth process, which then gives birth to joy. <laughs> Man, I want to keep doing this. I'm going to keep on following the ways of Jesus with a surrendered and faithful heart. And so this idea of surrender is not just once and and we don't just engage in faithfulness once. These must be decisions that we make daily, weekly, monthly, seasonally, yearly, and generationally. These are, these are decisions of surrender and faithfulness. I was about to dance on that one. <laughs> oh, groovy. Let me go back a second here. So we must make our decisions that are daily, these decisions of surrender, and make note of decisions, right? It's not just like, oh, if it happens, Christianity is just organic, right? Spirituality. No, these are acts of volition. I am deciding to do this. And then I'm going to make them happen daily, weekly, monthly, seasonally, and then generationally. And we grow into the people of God that God is longing for us to be. And so these are decisions of surrender and faithfulness. I'm reading a book right now called... Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Anyone heard of that? Yeah. A couple people. I do admit, it kind of sounds like a James Bond movie, Live No Lies. But this book is like, it's a theological, it's like a masterpiece, I think. And it's just talking about spiritual warfare, the life of a Christian and cultural critique. And a lot of it lies within lies. And so what are the, what are the truth about lies? And he unpacks this. But I was reading, that, reading it and this quote stood out to me and I think it's really meaningful for our purposes today. And it's this, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. In the beginning, we have a choice, but eventually we have a character. And the truth about this quote is it's, it's either in one direction or another. You can either have good character or bad character. And it's all based on our seasonal and cyclical decisions that we make every single day. In Romans chapter five, back to our key text, It says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Praise God. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. I don't know about you, but like I have to sit with this for a while. How is hope birthed from this process, this cycle that, of suffering? But if we surrender, if we make these choices and these decisions to surrender and be faithful, even in the midst of our suffering, and we do it on a daily and seasonal way, over time, if we're faithful over time, these decisions, and again, it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. I'm not trying to tell us we have, it's not perfectionistic. We thank God for his limitless grace. But we wholeheartedly endeavor to give God our love and our faithfulness and our surrender. And when we do this over time, daily and seasonally, together, it becomes a way of life and it terraforms the world. It really does. It brings revival into our hearts and into our homes and our marriages, and it spills out into society. Hope, then, from this surrender and faithfulness is birthed. And if you think about it, just like logically, how, like, I just, it just points to the reality that this hope that Paul is talking about is unstoppable. Right? Well, think about it. What, what, what normally can cause things to, to stop in our lives, to, to halt? It's some kind of exhaustion or maybe some suffering. But this hope was actually birthed from suffering. It's unstoppable hope. It's staggering to me. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that carries this kind of hope. I want, I want, I want to be this for my wife and for my kids. I want to be this for you as as the community that I serve and lead. And I believe that you guys truly want to be this, to have this, to be carriers and bearers of an unstoppable hope in a, in a really hopeless society. This is the invitation, I believe. God is calling us to be a people of hope. And a lot of times it's being faithful in the cycles, even in the midst of suffering. And so my encouragement for, for y'all is to let us be a people that press in for hope through perseverance through surrender, through faithfulness. Hope will then spring out of our hearts. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. Hope will be birthed from the Spirit of God in us and out into our families, into our places of work. It's not just Bible stories. I mean, this is real. I mean, it is Bible stories, but it's real life reality that echoes into eternity. And I believe, like, I think there's, there's something that I'm working on. Like, Lord, what do you want the church to do in this cultural hour? Like, what, what should our mentality be towards the world? And yes, there's, like, there's, there's overarching just let us be people of love. Let's be people of grace. Let's be people of justice. Let's care for the widows and the orphans. There's things that we just, that are timeless. But I do, and I, I do think that God is asking us right now, would you allow me to make you blameless before my sight as the bride of Christ, where you're so irresistible to the world that they're just, the world is curious, they don't understand, but what is it about you people? You just, you just carry a hope around you. There's a joy, there's a love. Like, why are you so generous? Why are you, why are you, why is there fidelity and, and chastity? Why is there, there's this, this, this kind of like 
disengaged from the mentality of the world. Everyone seems so anxious, but you're carrying peace. There is something about that, I believe, that God wants to woo us to be an irresistible picture of the body of Christ right now. I want to give us some practicals, though. So here's, there's some, some thoughts, and some of that's conceptual. And so I want to give you guys a couple practicals and expose you to some of the things that I think we are moving into as a church. What you'll see is we are going to be moving into some of the more contemplative things, learning from church history, and we are always going to be after the charismatic, contemplative and charismatic. And I'll unpack some of that stuff. But I want to... We, there, we can't live the Christian life without actually being practical about the practices of Jesus. So with that, I want to show you a list of ways to practice the ways of Jesus um, that are disengaging, okay? How many of you guys know that, like, we just, we live in a crowded, overly busy society, right? And so one of the things we need to do as Christ followers is we need to disengage sometimes from the busyness, or from just like all of the noise and all of the, the crowding in. And so I put that under the, the category of a quiet time. That's an old school thing for like spending time with Jesus. You guys know what a quiet time is? And so it's like a quiet time. And in that, these are, these are practices that are like probably thousands of years old. And they're all from Jesus. This is all the, the, the activity of Jesus. And so this is solitude. Many, many times Jesus would get away. And he would spend time with the Father and he would disengage from the, from the other apostles and from the crowd and he'd spend time with God. And then in that time is silence. We have so many vying voices for our, like in, our, in our day for our attention. And when we silence ourselves, we start to reorient. And then there's also slowing. And the world wants to speed us up. We live in an age of speed and so we slow ourselves down. Just focus on our breathing. And then fasting. What's weird is like the body, if, you, if we let the body just do whatever it wants to do and like just gratify all of the desires of the body, it actually starts to work against us. Have you noticed that? Whether it's sexually or eating or a, any kind of abuse on the body, it's, if you give it what it wants, what it desires, it actually works against you. So this disengaging from that is fasting. And so if you fast... And you're like, I'm going to dethrone you, stomach, <laughs> which is really hard for me. I'm going to dethrone you. I'm going to, like, you are subservient to the spirit. It actually starts to come into alignment with your spirit. And that's fasting. It's powerful. And then there's listening. Man, it, we live in a world which is like pump out, talking, pump out stuff on social media, whatever the case may be, just output, 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 right? But listening is to receive. God, would you speak to us? And maybe even just listening to your own heart, your own thoughts. And then lastly is soaking. I'm just kind of a catch-all. And I love this one. It's like sometimes I'll just put on some instrumental music and I'll sort of, so to speak, I'll just soak in God's presence. And you start to practice receiving his nearness and his tangible nearness. There's also engagement practices. These are engagement practices and I kind of put them all under groups right now because groups is our suitcased kind of idea to build community and relationships that help us thrive. And so in that is fellowship. You know, fellowship sometimes gets like poo-pooed a little bit. It's like, oh, we're just talking, it's meet and greet. But when you exchange love and like greet each other with like this holy kiss 
principle, like not literally, I'm not asking you to do that, but if you just greet each other, like this, let's be a people where we greet each other with that, the spirit of a holy kiss, there, that is worship. It is actually engaging in something that praises the Lord. And then there's celebration, which is like one of my favorite ones. I love celebration. Celebration is also worship, especially if you're not feeling it. <laughs> but if you celebrate, Lord, I just praise you and I thank you and I celebrate my friends and I party, it's a holy party. It's so good. And then service, that one's so expansive. This is like missiology, right? This is the mission of serving. It's small, but it's global. And then there's prayer, intercession. And then there's studying the Bible. We need to do the hard work. It's not just devotional. We have to do the hard work of expository um, or just exegesis. Maybe that's too much right now, but just study. And then examination. Maybe just like, I think it's so helpful for us just to sometimes stop. It's hard to stop sometimes and pause and question your own narrative. And to like, just question the story that you're telling yourself and examine. These are the ways of Jesus. And then lastly, confession. Man, this has just been a really hard week. Would you carry this in faith with me? Like, this is what groups can happen. Like, I've just been dealing with some like torment. I've been dealing with anxiety. I've, just, I've been overwhelmed as, as a dad or whatever the case may be, right? And we, conf- we confess it to the Lord. We, we externalize it and then we carry it with each other in grace Amen. and faith. To close, I want to I wanna read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. And it's this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let us be a people that fix our eyes on what matters most. You know, on the other side of, I was just reflecting on this, on the other side of of eternity, when we're face to face with God, I want to be able to say, God, you knew I wasn't perfect, so I thank you for your grace, but I wholeheartedly went after loving you and loving others. I did my best and you know it. I leaned into the, the secret place and I leaned into the communal place and I reoriented my life so that I could truly live the expression that, of your vision for the church that you have in your heart, Jesus. I don't want to be on the other side of eternity and be like, God, I meant to do those things. I was just, I was really busy. You know, work, the work was crazy. I, I really liked leisure. And so I went on a lot of vacations and I just, I couldn't really make it to church or do these, I couldn't really commit. I'm sorry, but I wanted to. I don't want, I don't want that to be said about us. I just had a lot of extracurricular things with the family. God is after something. I'm sorry if that's like a little heavy, but I just, there is an invitation that we, I think we need to take seriously here. Let us be a people who give God our first love. Let him dictate and and lead our lives and to love our neighbors as ourselves and to practice these things, practicing, disengaging, and engaging with a heart of surrender and faithfulness from season to season. Amen.